I'm thankful to finally start the book of Luke this week. We'll spend a few weeks in the book of Luke and we'll take a break in January for a, a topical series and then we'll go right back at Luke uh, in February and spend most of next year in the book of Luke. This morning, I want to look at Luke chapter one. I will read verses five through 25. The gospel according to Luke chapter one, beginning in verse five. Let's give our attention to the reading and the hearing of God's holy, inspired and inerrant word. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying this, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving it for us, passing it down through the ages that we might have it even today. It's been read in a language familiar to us. We may have heard it many times. But Lord, we pray that you would grant us this day by your Holy Spirit and your grace, 
Lord, grant us spiritual hearing. Lord, work your word into our hearts. Change us, make us more like Jesus. Father, lead us to rejoice in you and your goodness. Lord, I pray that, Lord, we would bring, that your people, myself included, that we would bring all of our hurts unto you. Lord, that we would find hope because you are the God of hope. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I could really use some good news right now. I could really use some good news right now. How many of you have ever found yourself saying that? I could really use some good news right now. The bills are piling up. My 401k is tanking. They found something new at my last doctor's exam. My kid is sick again. My car wouldn't start this morning. My company may not make it through the next quarter. My husband is ignoring me again. I'm never gonna pass my math class. Another person is disappointed in me. I failed again. My dog ran away last night. I know, it sounds like the making of a good country song. (laughs) But in reality, all those things that I just said are just a very small sample, aren't they? Just a small sampling of a very lengthy list of glaring realities, real and pressing and crushing hurts that many of us face each and every day. And in the face of that, if you just take a moment to think about all the hurts that you have experienced, perhaps that you are experiencing, in the face of all that, couldn't we all use just some good news today? Couldn't we really just use some good news? Well, here's some good news for you. There is hope for those who are hurting There is hope for those who are hurting. In the goodness and grace of our loving Father in heaven, there is hope for the hurting. We can see this clear as day. We can see this hope right here in our passage, right here in this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. So let's begin by considering that God is the God who remembers I know many of you like to take notes, so if you're taking notes, this is the first of three points, guideposts on our journey. God is the God who remembers. God remembers. History tells us that between the ministry of Malachi, and if you're not familiar, Malachi is the last of the Old Testament prophets, okay? It's the last book even in the Old Testament. So between the ministry of Malachi and the beginning of the New Testament gospels, there existed a period of time, roughly 400 years, roughly 400 years, 400 years of silence, 400 years without a prophetic word from the Lord. Think about that. 400 years. 
It even so right here in verses five and six, there is a wonderful reality. You barely step into the pages of the New Testament and what do you run into? The people of God. You run right into the people of God, right into a priest named Zechariah and his wife named Elizabeth. Look at verse six. Notice how Luke describes them. He says, quote, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now let's be clear. As it is with the whole Bible from beginning to end, these two were not righteous before God because they walked blamelessly. That's not how salvation works. Salvation is not by works at all, period, no. Zechariah and Elizabeth, Elizabeth walked blamelessly in all of God's law because they were righteous, because God had made them righteous. Don't forget this. Right living for God flows from a right standing before God, not the other way around. One simply cannot make themselves righteous by what they do. We know this now, right? We know that what did we bring? What did we bring in our salvation but ourselves and our sin? Nothing. We get Christ's righteousness as a free gift that we receive by grace and through faith. We receive his righteousness. And then what happens? What happens when we receive his righteousness? We can follow him. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we're alive in Christ. And so now we live for him. We follow him. We obey him, albeit imperfectly. But now we can. The same is true even for these two and the people of Israel who would be called this. They were righteous. And that's what makes this so marvelous. That's what makes this so wonderful. You, you step out of the Old Testament, you walk through 400 years of silence, you open the door to the New Testament and you might wonder, what are we gonna find? What do you find? God is still at work in the lives of his people. Think about it. Israel has come through the Babylonian exile. They've come through Persian domination. They've come through the ravages of Antiochus Epiphanes. And now where are they? They're under the thumb of the Roman Empire. But guess what? God is still at work. God still has his people. He hasn't forgotten his people. God is indeed the God who remembers in ages past, God had covenanted with his people. He had said that he would be their God and, and they would be his people. He delivered them from bondage in Egypt and he promised them that he would one day deliver them again through his Messiah. He had raised up an earthly king to rule over them, all pointing to the one day when he would raise up the true king to rule over them from all eternity. As you turn the pages from old to new, God's not done. God's still at work. He didn't take a break. He's been working. He's fulfilling all his promises. God is the God who remembers. I had a friend growing up. He loved to tell this story over and over again, right? You're that friend too, right? You got that one story, I do. The one story you go to and people are like, yeah, I know. 
This one guy loved to tell us how his parents forgot him one time when they were on vacation. Big family all piled into a van with a bunch of stuff. They're heading out west. We were in the St. Louis area, so they were heading out west, probably to Colorado or something. And they were heading out there and they stopped at one of those uh, rest stops. They all get out, they pile out. Parents are flustered. You've been there, right, parents? Right? You're like, oh, where's this? Get all the trash, get it all thrown away. Well, anyway, in the busyness and all of this, he went into the bathroom and this is where we gave him a hard time. He spent a little more time in there than one might expect. So he's in there a long time, but evidently he's in there so long that guess what? They forgot him. They get in the car and they leave. He comes out of the bathroom and can you imagine how he must've felt? He'd love to tell you how he felt. I was ready to take on the day. I was just gonna you know, hotwire a car and chase him down. Well, that's how it evolved as we got older. But what really happened is he was scared. He was crying. He was wailing. All the thoughts that rushed through his mind. My parents, are they ever coming back? What do I do now? I've been told not to go talk to strangers, but do I go ask these people to start heading west on Highway 70? What do I do? Now, I'll never know how long he was actually there waiting. I think currently it's probably 17 years, but however long it was, the thoughts going through his mind, have my parents forgotten me? Will they come back for me? Will I ever be able to make it on my own? Undoubtedly, just like my friend Israel's feelings had also waxed and waned over the years. Had God forgotten them? This is familiar to them, right? Weren't they asking that at the beginning of the book of Exodus? Has God forgotten? Why haven't we heard from God? Perhaps under the weight of your own hurt, perhaps you sometimes wonder the same thing. Perhaps you even find yourself asking, has God forgotten me? Has God forgotten me? Have you ever felt like that? I have. Have you ever felt like that? Has God forgotten me? Maybe you came here this morning and you're feeling that way even now. God has forgotten me. Well, when you fly high above the timeline of history, especially on this side of the cross, you kind of get a bird's eye view of God's remembrance. I mean, think about that. We can see all of redemptive history from the beginning of creation to the second coming of Christ. It's revealed to us in the word. So we tend to fly high above it and say, well, yeah, we know that God doesn't forget his people. He'll bring them safely through to the other side. He'll send his Messiah. We know that. That's coming actually in in Luke chapter two, right? It's coming. God's gonna send his Messiah. And then in the very end of time, God will send his Messiah again. He'll send him back. We know that. We know that God remembers. But if you take a glimpse into the hearts of the people who are living in this, something else is revealed to us. I think it's very important that we look at it with that light. So here's our second point this morning. God is the God who hears. God is the God who hears. We've been told that Elizabeth is a godly woman who walks blamelessly and all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. You may not have picked up on this, but she's also among the daughters of Aaron's line. She's married to a priest. The picture painted for us here leaves us with the impression that devotion to the Lord is what she's all about. Devotion to the Lord and his word is the very breath that she exhales. Devotion to God. But verse seven, 
Verse seven is like opening a window. Shows us a glimpse into her inward condition, into her heart. What are we told there? She is barren. I mean, she's unable to conceive a baby. On top of this, the text goes on to say that her and her husband, Zechariah, are advanced in years. That's a really kind way of saying they're really old. So you might add that to your vocabulary. Not really old, but advanced in years. Earthly speaking, there's no hope of her conceiving a child. She lives in a time in a society where a woman's worth, her worth was often measured in proportion to the number of children she has and the success of those children. Elizabeth's earthly account of that worth is empty. Surely though, as one who knows the word, surely she found hope in stories of women's past. You might think of Sarah, also advanced in years. Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, all at one time, barren, but eventually graced by the Lord with children. Surely that gave her some hope, right? But let's not forget that the doldrum of her days served as a stinging reminder of this one adjective, this one adjective that described her everywhere that she went and in everything that she did. Barren. Elizabeth was barren. To a watching world in the marketplace, Elizabeth was Elizabeth, the barren one. So with that reality in mind, let's think about this for a moment. How often do you think that Elizabeth and Zechariah had prayed for a child? I mean, we went through a few years of praying and waiting until God blessed us with our first child. We prayed, didn't we, Megan? Seems so long ago. Yeah, we prayed and we asked. We met other couples going through the same thing. We prayed, we asked. Many, some may even here may still be praying. You think they prayed? Of course they did. Asking the Lord to give them a child. And then the narrative here makes a move for us. It makes a move from Elizabeth's heart to Zechariah's heart. And this becomes very clear. Because here we have a man, we have a man without a child. It would have been just as much a reality to him, right? As it was to her that she was unable to conceive. Felt in a different way, but sure a reality for him. Here's a man without a child and he's gonna meet, he's gonna meet an angel with a gospel. A man without a child is gonna meet an angel with a gospel. I mean, this day that's spoken of here, this day was a banner day in Zechariah's life. You see, in this time, Israel's priests were divided into 24 divisions. That's why it mentions his division. With each division serving at the temple on a rotating basis for two weeks a year. There's so many priests, right? They've got them broken down into divisions. And then your division of your 24 divisions, one of them serves at the temple two weeks a year. Every day of those two weeks, two priests from that division were chosen to enter the holy place and offer incense on the altar, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. Now, again, since there are so many priests, this choice was made. It's mentioned here in your text. It was made by the casting of lots. The casting of lots. So this time, in the providence of God, 
right? The lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord, we're told in the book of Proverbs. This time in God's providence, the, loss, the lot, excuse me, fell on Zechariah. It would have been the greatest moment of his priestly career. And here's another piece of information that'll help drive that home. Once you were chosen to do this, you were never chosen again. That's how many priests there were. You got your one shot. He has his one shot. This is his banner day. So here he is now. Think about this. We've been through the book of Exodus together for those who were here for a lot of this year. He's dressed in his priestly garments, right? He's getting himself ready. He's cleaned up. He's washed. He's got the garments on. He's careful to obey all that God commanded because he has to be, right? He enters into the, the holy place. All the people are outside praying as well. He goes in to the holy place. What's in the holy place? You remember there's the, the golden lampstand on his left. The table of bread would be on his right. And right in front of him, right up against that curtain, that veil that blocked the entrance to the most holy place, the holy of holies, would have been the altar of incense. And he, he uh, approaches to burn the incense. And what happens? You see it there. In verses 11 through 13, look there again with me. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord staying on the right side of the altar of incense. What's his response? He was troubled. It's a nice way to put it. He was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Don't miss those words. Your prayer has been heard. Those are sweet words. Even when he's absolutely terrified, surely those are sweet words. Given the context, we don't have to think very hard to understand what Zechariah was praying for. I mean, surely as was his priestly duty, he was praying for Israel. First and foremost, right? He's praying for Israel. That's what you do when you go in there. Praying for Israel's perseverance, praying for Israel's deliverance. But we can rightly surmise, and I think it would be right to do this, that he also used this banner day to bring his most cherished request to the Lord, which is why Gabriel answers him the way he does. Think about Zechariah here for a moment. We talked about praying for this. You ever wonder if he had given up on praying? Have you ever prayed for something so long that you're just like, all right, the Lord's heard me. I'm not gonna pray for this one anymore. But now, Zechariah gets this one chance. And you gotta think about how the people of Israel perceived the Lord. The Lord dwelled there in the temple, right? He has a chance to go into the temple, into the holy place and stand before the Holy of Holies. Again, not open, but he's there as close as he's gonna get to the presence of God himself. He goes in there. Don't you think that he'd wanna pull that one out of his pocket? Don't you think with this one-time shot, he's like, I'm gonna ask now? I mean, wouldn't you? Put yourself in his sandals. You've been hoping, you've been longing, you've been hurting, you've been praying for something for so long. Wouldn't you ask him one more time? Friends, God hears your prayers. He does. You don't need to go into the temple. You are the temple. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in your heart if you belong to him by faith. Even if your prayers come out in muffled words of sobbing despair, mine have, surely yours have at times. 
God hears them. The prayers of God's people never go unheard. Now look, I understand he does not answer always at the time we want him to answer or how we want him to answer, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't hear them. God hears your prayers. He is the God who hears. If you are one of his children, please hear this today. If you are following the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, you can know that God hears your prayers. Even if he's not answering at the time and in the way you want him to, don't take that as he doesn't hear them. God hears your prayers. God is indeed the God who hears. From this narrative in front of us, there's one more thing that we can learn from the verses before us. And it's gonna be our third and final point. So if you're taking notes, this is it. God is the God who provides. God is the God who provides. I got to thinking this week, I thought, isn't it wonderful how God tends to begin his finest works in the face of human hopelessness and human weakness. You ever notice that? When all earthly options are gone, isn't it amazing how God seems to break through with something that never appeared to even be an option before? When something seems humanly impossible, isn't it remarkable that God uh, will show himself able to do far more above than all that we ask or think? I hope you've experienced that before. Maybe not in your own life, but in the lives of others. Just look at the scope of Christian history. God is at work. Think about this. Zechariah has just been told that his prayers were heard and that Elizabeth would bear a son. That's good news. But it's not just any son. It gets better. A great prophet. A great prophet who would go forth in the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord. This is not lost on Zechariah. This is not lost on him. That would have rang very familiar to him. Because what were the very last words? What are the very last words recorded for us in the Old Testament? What are the very last words? Malachi 4, 5, and 6. You can turn there. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So now this man of God, Zechariah, the man who knows the word of God, recognizes this and he's stunned. He is stunned. I mean, he even protests. How shall I know this, he asks. (laughs) I mean, that's a reasonable request, right? Show me a sign. How am I gonna know this? This is impossible. This is impossible. My my wife is barren. We're we're, We're old. We're dried up. This isn't gonna happen. What? This is truly shocking news. It's a lot to take in. I thought about this too. Often when the Lord provides exactly what we ask for, how do we respond? We're shocked. 
So I wanna say we watch too much Shark Tank in our house, but it's actually me uh, and everyone else is just around. So if you know the show Shark Tank, people come into these investors, famous people, and they pitch business ideas to them, right? And they try to get them to invest their money. And it's always this like fun thing that happens where somebody walks in, they're asking for like 3%. You know, they, they, want, they want a million dollars for 3% of their company. Dr. Neil, do the math for me. That's a lot of money. Most people don't have their, their you know, so they get laughed off stage. But every now and then there's that someone who comes in with a really good idea and a really good proposal, right? Like we're asking $150,000 for 15% of our company. They go through the pitch and then one of the sharks will go, I'll give you that. You ready to make the deal? And you watch the person on the stage who's like, this is like a once in a lifetime thing for them, right? This is sink or swim, right? Even if they fail, they're gonna get a lot of business because they were on TV. But think about that. And then they'll go, does anybody else have any offers? And you're like, what? You came in asking for this. They're gonna give it to you. It's Mark Cuban or whoever's sitting right there and he's saying, I'll give it to you. And they're like, uh. And you shake your head. That's why I watch, it's fun, right? Because I like to say, it's not worth that. I have no idea what I'm talking about. It's like watching Jeopardy. Oh, I knew that. <laughs> but think about that. Think about how many times you ask for the Lord. You ask the Lord, Lord, do this. And it may not be in the time or the way that you expect. And then he does it. And you're like, huh? Well, why, why'd you do that? Oh, this is really hard. This isn't the way I wanted it. Wait, wait, it is. Zechariah gets the answer to his prayer. God tells him, and how does he respond? He's shocked. He's shocked. Well, it must have come as quite a shock to Elizabeth too, right? <laughs> Especially when, uh, how does he return home? He's mute. He can't talk. He comes home from serving in the temple. He's unable to speak. That's probably not the sign he was asking for, by the way. <laughs> Show me a sign, God. Okay, just don't talk. I would love to be there when he gets home. I mean, you would hope that over all these years of marriage, they've learned a good way to communicate with each other. But I just pictured how Megan and I might do this. Like, you know, <laughs> sorry for people listening online later. Uh, call me and I'll put you on FaceTime and I'll show you. Like, how, how would you possibly mime that? He's telling her this. Put yourself there for a minute. Wouldn't that just be amazing? I'd love to be there for that. After all these years, she finally conceives. And what does she say? Look at verse 25 again. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among the people. She conceived. She gave glory and honor to God. She gave glory and honor to God. God has indeed provided for her. All those hard and difficult and painful years, all of them are now repainted in vibrant hues of God's immeasurable goodness and mercy. Barren for all those years. Think about that living under the weight of hopeless hurting. But now she comes to find out that she had been barren for a purpose. She had been barren for a purpose because God was going to send this prophet to John to prepare the way for the Lord. And so even though it didn't happen in the time and the way that she wanted it to happen, perhaps it happened just as God had prescribed it according to his word for her good and for his glory. Because John, as we're gonna see next week, 
John has a big job. John has a big job to prepare the way for Jesus. I once read about a man. This man was sentenced to death by a king. A day before he was to be executed, he went to the king and asked for a stay on his execution. Your majesty, he said, if you give me just one year, I will teach your horse how to fly. If I don't succeed, you can proceed with my sentence, put me to death. If I do succeed, however, you're gonna let me go as a free man. To this, the king agreed. So as this man's being taken to his chambers in the stables, the guard asks him, you can really teach the king's horse to fly? Within a year, the man answered, the king may die, or I may die. The horse may die. In a year's time, who knows? Maybe the horse will learn to fly on its own. A man can hope, can't he? A lot can happen in a year. He bought himself a year. Does that sound like hope? Does that sound like true hope? Or does it sound more like wishful thinking? The stay of that man's execution might be good news for a year, but it's not good news that's guaranteed to last. The good news that you and I need is so much more. The good news that we need is eternally good news. We need good news rooted and grounded in a hope, in a hope that is secured by a God who remembers his promises. We need hope that is secured by a God who hears us when we cry out to him. And we need a hope secured by a God who provides answers to our prayers according to his will in his time, in his way, for our good and for his glory. That's the good news that answers the call of people like you and me who are hurting. That is the good news that ministers to us comfort and ministers to us peace and provides for us the hope we really need. That's what Elizabeth and Zechariah have experienced in the passage before us. And it's exactly the same thing that you and I experience. When we turn to God by faith in Jesus Christ and we put our faith and hope and trust in him alone, even our hurting, is redeemed. Even our hurting, even our suffering, even our trials, we see that God is good. He never changes his goodness. God never turns a deaf ear to us. God will provide for us all that we need. He'll provide for us all, more than we can ask or think. God will never leave us nor forsake us. God will be with us each and every step, no matter how hard it is. He will always be there. And even if we can't see on this side of glory, we know that ultimately all of his promises are true. He promised us a son. He sent us his son. He promised that he would return. He will return and he will bring you with him to glory. And you will spend the rest of your life glorifying and honoring and praising him in heaven. That is our hope. Heaven is our hope. Heaven is your hope. 
Put your hope in Christ, in Christ alone. Amen and amen. Would you grab your book?